Amen. Praise God. Another opportunity to hear God's word. Amen. Um, I always have a mini heart attack, and I'm just hoping this computer works and holds out for the entire sermon. If not, about half of it, maybe a quarter of it's up here. I'm just kidding, but it's all in here. Amen. Um, I always want to, <laughs> they're, they're not going to like me for putting them on the spot, but we got two little preachers up here. <laughs> Ryan said no. Hey, you sat next to me, so um, maybe in the future sometime, amen? Um, we get to dive into Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Um, we'll get to reading the scripture, which is the main important, uh, the most important thing, but before we get there, I want to encourage you, you all. I want to exhort you guys and say for being here and for being part of um, this church, um, it could be any church, but the fact that we're part of this one, God's church, is beautiful. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, keep serving the Lord um, in your individual lives, as a family, as, a, as couples, um, as friends, but also as a, as a body of Christ here together. Let's, um, let's continue in that. Um, let's continue building unity so we can better serve God and, and glorify God. Amen. Um, but something unorthodox I want to do um, before we dive in is all these beautiful things that we get to experience today. Can we, um, can we just have a round of applause for God and thank God for allowing us to be here? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to be before you today. Um, as we dive in, I want you to start thinking of a few things. That's always what I say. Just start thinking of this and have it in the back of your mind and whenever you see fit, bring it to the forefront and um, continue thinking about it. But how can the body of Christ live as God intends us to live? How can the body of Christ live as God intends us to live? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer before we read the scripture. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach. Thank you for um, those that are hungry for God's word, for your word, Lord. And thank you for um, just allowing us to have such clarity um, in reading your word, Lord God. I can only imagine what it was like for the disciples, those in the early church that were really just uh, baking off one, one scroll, one verse sometimes, or, or one teaching from you, Jesus. But Lord, we have it all right here in your holy word. And Lord, it's a precious gift that you've um, given to us, Lord God. So we thank you. Um, that we had the opportunity to dive in and learn more about you, Lord God. Open our hearts, open our ears, and our minds to understand your word and to not only understand it, but Lord, let's receive it and let's act upon it and apply it to our lives and um, glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. So if there's anything that you get from today's sermon, just remember this, all right? We will thrive in unity as the body of Christ, when we do whatever it takes to show humility, gentleness, patience to one another. One more time. We will thrive in unity as the body of Christ when we do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to show humility, gentleness, and patience to one another. Amen. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 3 says, make every effort. In the, in the New, uh, New King James Version, it says, endeavoring, if I'm not mistaken. Endeavoring, just doing whatever it takes, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Amen. And a quick background, um, I found it quite interesting that the book of Ephesians doesn't address a specific issue, you know, like the rest of the letters, uh, uh, Pauline letters, they don't, it, this book doesn't address a specific problem in the church. Paul's not going, hey, all your leaders are living in sin, correct it. There's not that issue, or there's not some other issue. It's just this, this encouragement, there's this um, exhortation in this book, and Paul's just saying, keep doing what you're doing. Remember how you used to live, and remember what you're called, how you're called to live, amen? And he's just encouraging them, and uh, urging them to live as Christ has called them to live, and to build unity um, as, a, as a body of Christ. But um, Paul, at this moment, is in chains in Rome, for obviously standing up to the government for his faith. But, like I said, uh, scholars believe that this book was, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, by the way, so... Hang with me. Uh, Scholars believe that this letter was initially a circular letter, meaning that it was a letter intended to be sent out to multiple churches, but that most most people believe that this this, uh, letter that was sent out, the one that was recorded for the canon, meaning the Bible, was the one that was so happened to to end up in Ephesus. And that the, the one that ended up in Ephesus was the one chosen for this, but it was all relatively the same word, the same letter, um, but they just so happen to get the one from Ephesus, amen? Uh, the book does not address any specific issue, but instead encourages and exhorts. Um, Paul gives a compare, like I said, before in contrast, after, um, of the lives of the believers here in this um, city. Um, he gives groundwork for the basis of a Christian life, how we, we, how we ought to live, but also he strives to explain to the Ephesians the mystery of God, which is definitely something that we continue to um, look into today. So verse 1 um, says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And throughout this sermon, there isn't a specific number of steps or distinctions or initiatives that I have for you. Um, I, I decided just to go with what the word says. It's because it's only a number of verses. We'll just go verse by verse and, uh, and word by word because later we'll, we'll dive into hum- humility gentleness, patience, and then long-suffering, um, pretty much patience, and then um, doing it all in love, amen? So we're going to start off with living a life worthy of, of what we've been called to. A lot of people like to say that they talk the talk, right? But as a Christian, we have to talk the talk, but also walk the walk, meaning you have to walk it out. It's not enough to just read the words and know it in your mind. You have to know it in your heart as well, Amen. But when you know it in your heart, you're able to walk it out, whether that be the workplace, whether that be amongst each other, amongst uh, believers, or wherever it may be. You're, getting, you're pumping gas at the gas station. You're walking out your faith. It's not good enough to just talk the talk. God isn't looking for, for talkers. He's, he's looking for doers. Amen? The standard we uphold. What is the standard that we uphold as believers? What that is is that we're, we're supposed to uphold the standard of God, which is holiness. Wow, that's a big word, holy. Whew. But guess what? God calls us to be holy because he is holy. But are we holy on our own standards? Mm-mm. 
we're holy through, through Jesus Christ, amen? That we, we weren't able to meet that mark. We weren't able to meet that standard without Christ dying on the cross for us. And the moment that we put our faith in Christ, the holiness that Christ has is now our holiness. The righteousness that he has is now our righteousness, amen? So this standard that we're called to, this life, um, we're supposed to live a life worthy of the calling that we've been called to, amen? Oh, this one, this one stepped on my toes when, I, when, it, when, it just, when, when God revealed it to me, is that we're called to accommodate to the gospel, not accommodate the gospel to us. Oh, that one hit me hard. I just took a moment, left my room, and just kind of took a little walk. I was like, oh, I believe I've been guilty of this, is to accommodate the gospel to my life. What about the gospel do I like? Uh, I'm going to do that part, but I don't really like this part, so I'm not going to do that. Unity? Humility? Nah, I don't know about that, right? But that's not the way we ought to be. We accommodate to the gospel. We accommodate to the truth of God's word. We don't accommodate the truth to us, amen? And lastly about this part is be proud to uphold the name of Christ, amen? One, we have the freedom to do so, but what happened if we didn't? If we didn't have the freedom to do so and to, and to speak the truth of God and to have the freedom just to say, hey, God loves you, whoa, if we didn't have that freedom, would you still be a Christian? Would I still be a Christian if we didn't have that freedom to speak so freely of our faith? I remember a brother said the first time I, I preached uh, during the summer, he said, step on our toes today, amen? And I was like, oh, well, I guess you speak for everyone, so I'll do it. Right? Um, and, and I take it as that, too. <laughs> um, but no, uh, real quick, uh, the process of preparing a sermon is like an exercise. I didn't have no energy at the end of the day, and I wanted to start going to the gym this week. Oh, it was bad. Um, and uh, the experience that you have when, when preparing a sermon is uh, you... you um, you're, you're choosing your sermon, you're choosing your passage, and you want it to be relevant. Obviously, the, God's word is relevant, but you want it to kind of touch the lives of, of every age in here, the wise, the, the young and dumb, uh, the middle aged. you know? Like, so you want it to like, touch the hearts and pierce the hearts of everyone. Uh, you want God's word to do that. And then you go through the part where, where you're starting, or, excuse me, where I'm starting to put in like, uh, uh, my own words, my own thoughts and intellectuality, which is really low, um, and all this cool stuff, and I'm like, well, got to throw that out. That's not what God wants me to say, and then you go through the part where, like, what you're studying hits your heart, and then you just fall on your hands and knees, and you're like, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm preaching your word, and Lord, I'm convicted, you know, so all these things, so <laughs> brings me to say this, is that in the midst of preaching this right now, I felt like I, I've been through it all this week, but praise God that, that it works that way. I would hate for someone to come before you and, and before me one day and, and start preaching a word that they haven't lived out or they haven't been convicted with, amen? Again, live a life worthy of the calling you have received in God. Be proud of it. Uphold it. I, I, you might find it, some people find it cheesy, and they might be believers, but I love wearing my faith on my shirt. Jesus loves you. Before I even see you, before I even shake your hand, if I'm here or if I'm about, even at Liberty, even at, um, in, in just out in the world, 
when I walk into a, a place, if they see that on my, sh that's the first thing I want someone to know about me. And if they don't know it because I'm not wearing the shirt, shirt that day because it's in the laundry, well, then I want to encounter them and make sure that they know that they're loved by Christ and that for the, for the strength, through the strength of God that I'm able to love them too, amen? So be proud of the, uh, of the name that we uphold in Christ, amen? If you remember anything from this sermon, remember this. We will thrive in unity as the body of Christ when we do whatever it takes to show humility, gentleness, and patience to one another. I have yet to talk about either of those, but we're about to dive in. Verse 2 mentions humility. Oh, man. Some people want to get up from their seats. I want to walk off stage. This is hard. Humility, for those that care, in the Greek, it means lowliness of mind. It kind of puts it in perspective, amen? It, it, it makes you think of uh, when you're humble, you think less of yourself. Not that you are less, not that you're the scum of the earth, <laughs> not that you're a, a nobody well, walking around kind of with your head down saying, well, I'm humble, I'm, I'm a nobody, like I'm not worth anyone's time. That's not the case. Humility is knowing your worth in Christ, but putting your, your agenda, your thoughts, your needs lower than someone else's. So you're looking to others before you look to yourself. Humility. You are uh, having a lowless, lowliness of mind. You think less of yourself in light of others. You know, you see someone with a need and you might have the same. In humility, you would reach their need before you reach your own. Um, something more um, understandable, Webster's Dictionary says it's a modest estimate of one's, own, of one's own worth. A modest estimate of one's own worth. You can still make an estimate about yourself, but it has to be modest if you wanted to exemplify humility. And these few verses struck me. James 1.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Why should I be humble? Why should I show humility? Because when you're humble, God will lift you up. Not that you're looking for a reward, but those that are truly humble, God knows your heart, God knows where you stand, God knows your thoughts, and if you exemplify humility, God will raise you up. And that could look, he could raise you up in all sorts of ways. Proverbs 15.5 states, humility comes before honor. And to put that in perspective, think of this. We respect our military, amen? We, we, we appreciate them. And we honor them, right? I want to be careful when I say this, but we honor them because they've given much of themselves, right? That's where the honor comes, because they're humble enough to sign a contract, to get on a plane, to, to put their lives on the front lines. And even those that don't go, they give so much of their time. Even those that don't um, go on a deployment, they give so much of their time and sacrifice. And their family is moving from here to there, here to there. But yet... Honor is given to them because they're humble enough to, to step up to the plate and say, no matter what it takes. They didn't know where they were going to go when they signed a contract, our military members. They just said, you know what, whatever it takes, I'm going to go. I want to serve the country, right? But honor comes with humility. They were humble in the fact that they were like, here we go, signing off my name. John 13, 35 says this. This one struck me too. John 13, 35. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and would return to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God. In the glory that Jesus stood in and walked in while He was on earth, even as a human, having the ability to do whatever He wanted in His humility, got on His hands and knees and served His disciples. They didn't understand what was, what was going on. It says either the verse after, a few verses afterwards, that in that moment, as he began to wash her feet, that they didn't know what was going on. They were like, what are you doing? They knew he was someone important, of course. And they believed that he was a Messiah, but they were like, why are you washing my feet? Like, this, this is contrary. I should be washing your feet. Like, you're the great one, right? You're the son of God. I should be washing your feet. But the son of God, in his humility, gone on his hands and knees to wash the disciples' feet. What an example it is of humility. And what that shows of how much of what Jesus thought of himself. His estimate of himself was, was love. He knew his worth, but in his worth, he humbled himself. What an act of love, what an act of humility from our Savior, amen? A scholar named Hastings, by the last name Hastings, says this, a man who knows his own superior worth and yet is willing to serve his inferiors and Christian love is a humble person. A man who knows his, or a person who knows his own superior worth and yet is willing to serve his, their inferiors in Christian love is a humble person. It makes sense. It just makes sense, right? It might not be <laughs> that easy to, to live out, but right now I believe it's making sense to everybody. Amen? So we're called to live in humility amongst each other. Rocky Mount, we're called to live in humility with the people that are sitting in the pews in front of you. For those that, that you never say hi to that are in the back. For those that sit next to you left and right, to your family members, you know. We're called to humility. And, you know, because you've heard it from God's word, not me, not anyone else, but from God's word, you're accountable for it. We're called to think lowly of ourselves. Of course we have the power of the cross behind us and in front of us, beside us. Of course we have the armor of God on us. Of course we have the power to defeat obstacles. Of course we have the, the power in Christ to, to uh, glorify him more and more and more and also be a, a threat to the world's standards. Of course, to overcome sin in Christ. Of course we do, but there ought, there ought to be humility in that because we wouldn't have the strength to do any of that in Christ if it weren't for the humility of our Savior, amen? It's all an opportunity. That's how, if you haven't noticed, that's how I view life. Oh, look, I took a step. That's an opportunity to live out, to breathe, to thank God, to be here, to drive, you know, to hear the church. It's an opportunity to, to worship God, an opportunity to live, to breathe, to, to honor God in, in my voice, in, in my giving, in your giving, in your voice, in, in your structure of family. Every day is an opportunity to glorify God. Once again, if you remember anything from today's sermon, 
Remember this. We will thrive in unity as a body of Christ when we do whatever it takes to show humility, gentleness, patience to one another. Amen. Oh, gosh, here we go. Gentleness. What does that even mean? Verse 2. It speaks of gentleness. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. We are called to speak and act in gentleness. What's that mean? With the soft spirit responding with kindness. So it's almost, with all this studying that was done, it almost refers to gentleness as a response. Like, of course, you can initiate gentleness, but it's almost speaking of gentleness as a response to whatever happens to you, however someone comes at you, whether they're angry, whether they're upset, whether they're frustrated, whether they're sad, whether whatever, however they feel, if someone comes to you, we're to respond with a soft, calm spirit, responding with kindness. That's tough, right? Because a lot of times what goes through my head is that if someone comes at me like that, they took the first punch, I'm going to take the second. I'm not talking physically, I'm talking verbally. Um, they, they initiated it. I didn't start it. So I have the freedom now to act out in righteous anger and respond, no, don't, don't use that the wrong way. But we're called to, to be low-tempered, not easily angered towards one another. One another here at church, here in Rocky Mount, in your families, out of the workplace, to speak with a soft, calm spirit and just like me, I had to ask God for a gentle spirit. Um, as a kid, I had anger issues. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like, I would just assume people's intentions and assume uh, my parents' reasoning behind stuff, and I would just get angry, real angry. That's not acting out in a gentle spirit. That's not acting out in a low-tempered um, spirit or responding with kindness. My parents would have the best intentions for me. My friends would have the best intentions for me. But because I had this, this uh, assumption in my mind, thinking that, well, they're doing this because, you know, I'm not good enough, and because they think I'm stupid, and then all this stuff. And I'll respond with anger, and they're like, what's going on? So are you, church, in your families, here at church, with one another, in the workplace, with those that you're around constantly, are you responding with a gentle spirit? Don't get me wrong. Of course, we, you know, God doesn't want us to, to just let people walk all over us. No, that's not the case. But we're able to respond no matter what it may be in a gentle spirit. And a lot of times, I guess when we're in church, there's a lot of logistics that go on, a lot of planning for, for certain um, uh, uh, events, uh, certain outings, um, whether it be youth or the adults or, or the choir or whatever it may be. And a lot of times, uh, well, I'm speaking from my own experience, too. Um, a lot of times there's different um, opinions that might be thrown into the pot. Is your gentle spirit calming the pot, or are you stirring it with something else, right? Are you, instead of waiting, instead of initiating your own uh, desires and agenda and whatever you're planning, are you automatically asking someone else, hey, what do you think we should do? All right, let's talk about it. Let's be reasonable in how we go about this. Or are you wanting to stick to what you do, and then the moment someone speaks up and gives their five cents in all gentleness, you speak with nothing, nothing other, uh, or something other than gentleness? 
Let's be gentle to one another. Let's be soft-spirited. Not soft person. No one likes that, right? But soft in the spirit, which is more important than being, um, I guess, a soft person in today's standard, which has a bad connotation, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Gentleness. Verse 2 says patience. Another word for patience is long-suffering. How many parents have been through so much long-suffering with their children, right? Time after time, or maybe a spouse, I don't know. Like, you know, like, how, how many of you have been through so much long-suffering with one another? Meaning you have patience for a long time, long-suffering, you're suffering, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, and for those that care, The Greek word for long-suffering means a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion, generally uh, to passion, which means emotion. Um, Not passion as in like, I have a passion to preach, or I have a passion to love, or I have a passion for God. It's not speaking of passion in that way. It's speaking of passion in the sense of um, uh, uh, your emotion getting stirred up. Like you have all this emotion, and you just let it go, let it rip, right? It implies the opposite of short-tempered. Long-suffering is the opposite of short-temperedness. A long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action. So pretty much think before you act, right? Think before you act. I got to think before I act a lot of the time. Long-suffering is having patience with people you are trying to love. Oh, like I said, in the family structure, Long-suffering is, is having patience with those people around you that you're trying to love. But this struck me really hard. What, is it, what good is it if you're striving to love the people that love you? Like, that's good, but are you really long-suffering? Are you really going through times of patience when you're loving the people that, that quickly love you? You know? I know? Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't love you so quickly. But, you know... Long-suffering is experienced with those showing love and patience and kindness to those that don't care anything about you, that you could give of your time, of your money, of your efforts, and yet they're like, oh, thanks, and they don't mean that, right? That's long-suffering is experienced when you're giving of, of your time and everything you have to those that don't love you. Of course, you experience it with those that love you and that you love but even more so with those that really don't care. It's like taking a lash. Long-suffering is like taking a lash. The lash of having patience with a person, the lash of dealing with rudeness, the lash of of an unreached person, meaning they don't don't have faith in God, so they don't really know how to respond to kindness and and this and that, so they don't know how to respond. So in, in, in your efforts of giving to that person, you see that they don't care and, and you want to reach them over and over. You want to share the gospel with them over and over. And every time they just seem to trample over you. Long suffering, patience with that person would continuously reach out to that person and say, you know what? I don't care how you act towards me. I don't care what you say towards me. I'm going to continue to love you. I'm going to continue to smile. I'm going to c- continue to shake your hand. You know, like I shared with you, I think last time I preached was if I see someone that I might not have, Please don't read too far into this because I'm not trying to cause problems. Um, but if, if there's someone that might have uh, 
or in my mind that I might not like that much, you know, just being honest, vulnerable here, right? I'm not trying to hide anything. I go straight up to that person. I say, how are you doing today? I counteract my thoughts. I'm not going to act upon my, my, my assumptions, my uh, ungentleness, my selfishness. If I think that, I'm not going to go, yeah, Jacob, I'm right, so uh, all right, let's walk this way. No, I'm going to go like, that's not right. That's not a righteous thought. That's not a holy thought. That's not something God would want me to do. Let me go and talk to that person and counteract and get, get rid of that thought, get rid of that action in my heart. For example, long-suffering is this. When a child makes a mistake, you might get upset, but right away you forgive the child because they do not know any better. What about when someone does, does know what, when they do something wrong? So long-suffering can be an, um, be an example of when a child disobeys, but they kind of don't know what, you know, they don't know what's right from wrong still, right? But yet long-suffering is like, ah, almost, let's, let's interpret it like this. It's the benefit of the doubt. No matter what, stick that in your head. It's like, I'm going to love them no matter what. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. This little child probably doesn't know good from, good from, uh, from bad. I'm going to love them. That's kind of easy, though. What about if it's an adult? <laughs> they should know the right from wrong, you know? Long-suffering is seeing that and going, benefit of the doubt? They're an adult. They got five kids. They have a family of their own. They should know not to treat someone like that. But long-suffering not only gives the benefit of the doubt, but goes the extra mile. Did you guys take note of the, um, the sermon title? Going the extra mile. Long-suffering goes further than what you would expect. Let's keep going. The last of loving the grumpy person in the corner. Guys, don't look to the corner now. We're not trying to do that. Look back here. Look back here. The lash of loving the grumpy person in the corner. The lash of being betrayed, but yet loving. Long-suffering is experienced when you're betrayed, right? It hurts. But long-suffering causes us to have patience in those moments and to continue to love and do whatever it takes, going the extra mile to love. And this is an example that I came up with real quick. Because, you know, I've done it. <laughs> After one lash, some of us are done. Oh, I walked into church today, or I walked into the workplace today, and then even looked my direction. I'm done. Or some of us have more patience than that, right? I, I'm gone on the first one. Some of us can be like, oh, I wasn't invited to the luncheon. No one told me about the potluck. I'm done. Or maybe on a more serious term, is like someone lies to you, does you wrong, and after one time you're like, that's it. I'm not talking to that person anymore. No more love. You don't get love. <sighs> and then this struck me, is that what kind of long-suffering and patience did Christ have with us? <laughs> and then this struck me, is that what kind of long-suffering and patience did Christ have with us? That, that's what, what got me walking away from my my study was like, oh, no, need to take a break, need to pray. Jesus didn't do that with you. When it came to long-suffering and patience, you're his child, right? You're his, his son and daughter. When you did wrong, did he, on the first lash, 
The greatest lash he received was the one on the cross for you and I. Long-suffering is exemplified in the cross. Extra mile, going the extra mile, what does that mean? I could barely make it through the first mile. How can I make it through an extra? Extra means you didn't plan for it, but you go the extra mile. Long-suffering is when you, know, you feel like you did enough, and yet someone kind of smacks you upside the head. And I'm like, and you just feel the urge, like, I really need patience right now. Go the extra mile. But it's hard to on your own strength. And a lot of times I can do it on my own strength, but we, church, we don't have to do it on our own strength. If you want to, good luck. That's not going to last. But we don't have to do it on our own strength. The key to long-suffering and patience is the spirit of God. Not the spirit of Jacob. Not the spirit of Pastor David. The key to long-suffering and patience, showing it to one another, is in the spirit of God and depending on God's strength, not your own. And I invite you, try it on your own strength. People say, oh, don't ever say that from the pulpit. They'll actually do it. Well, I hope you learn, you know. That's how I learned. I tried to do things on my own strength, show patience and, and long-suffering on my own strength, and it didn't work out. And then I'm like, wow. This whole time I had this, the, the ability to, to tap into the source of God's strength, and yet I didn't do it. Christ is the greatest example we have for humility, gentleness, and patience. There was this awesome preacher from the years of 1907 to 1994 named Leo Ravenhill. I mean, this guy was awesome. Look him up. It's awesome, right? His, his, his teachings, his, um, his preachings, his, his encouragements towards the church, and also his, his revival, just being straight up and raw with, with his congregation during his time. He shared this. Well, let me read uh, Matthew 26, 39 real quick. All right. He shared this, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, Jesus did, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. That's Jesus praying to God. What is the cup anyways? What is he talking about? Let this cup pass from me. Simple terms, the wrath of God. The cup is the wrath of God. Jesus weeping in the garden, asking God, if this cup, if you can, allow this cup pass from me. Meaning, don't pour out your wrath on me. If there's any option, he wasn't saying, you know, I'm not up for it. He's saying, if there's any way, like, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to go. But if there's any way you can let the, your wrath pass from me and don't take it on me, then please do so. But he stayed there. Jesus didn't go anywhere. So, this Pastor Leo Ravenhill, in his time, 1900s, he was a pastor of this huge church in town in England. And he had just finished this, uh, the service, evening service, and he's walking home, and he's walking past his, the ghetto, the poor part of town, right? And as he's walking past this poor part of town, this lady pops out her head from this poor house. There's just riggedy place. 
And she goes, I know who you are. You're the pastor of this church, and you do this, and, and you preach this, and, and you're a good person. And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 that's me. And I just envision, right now, he's, at, he's in his 20s. He was pastoring a huge megachurch in England at the age of 20, or in the uh, early 20s. So this lady knows who he is, and he's like, yeah, that's me. She invited him, or she said, I don't go to your church. No, I actually don't even give when, if I do go because I'm too poor to give. He goes like, oh, okay, cool story, right? Um, but then she goes, she says, asks him something that he's not really up for. Hey, why don't you come in? I, I want to invite you into my house. He shares that he's really reluctant to do so. He looks around. He's like, I might get shot. I might get stabbed. Something. This is a poor part of town, right? And she says, oh, you don't want to come in because I'm poor. He's like, oh, I'm coming. I'm coming in. <laughs> Can't have that reputation. Got to walk in, all right? So he walks into her place, and he's called out because he, at first, didn't want to come in. But let's continue the story. The house was filthy, dirty dishes, paint falling off the wall, dust everywhere, rotten food, mold growing. The whole house is a mess. This pastor that preached a good sermon on that evening wasn't expecting to be in, in this filthy place. But he was. She asked this question, oof, in all the dirtiness. She goes, do you drink tea? Oh, we, we relate to tea, right? I was introduced to it not, till long, not too long ago. Sweet tea's pretty good. Um, I'm not looking for an ad advertisement deal. I'm not going to say where to get it from. Actually, I don't really know what's good, so <laughs> you probably do. Um, anyway, so she asked, do you drink tea? He goes, yeah. Mm. She goes to the sink and grabs this nasty, used-to-be white teapot and just kind of, like, brushes it off and gets, like, the nasty stuff that was in there and kind of pours out the, like, the, the, like, the water that might have been there for a few days. And just, All right, here we go. And she reaches into the other part of the sink and grabs, like, this rusty cup with, like, old tea leaves in it. And then, and then she asks, do you, do you take cream? He goes, yeah, I don't have any. Do you take sugar? Yeah, I don't have any. And then as she pours the tea, it just looked like the worst, nastiest black goo, almost gunky. It might have been old for all we know. So she pours it into this cup, rusty cup from this used-to-be white teapot that's all rusted and nasty. I hope you're envisioning it and probably like, ugh. Got to go clean my one to get home. Ugh. So she pours it into the rusty cup. And as she's handing it to Leo, Pastor Leo, her, her nails are dirty. Her hands are just not well, well taken care of. Um, he smells the stench of her clothes, all this stuff. And as soon as she reaches out to give it to him, again, he shows reluctancy. And he's like, and she says, drink it. What is this an example of? In that moment, his mind traveled 2,000 years prior to that moment and thought of when Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath with humility, gentleness, and long-suffering. 
in that moment, he thought of what Christ did for you and I. He was there. Christ was there. But again, like almost like this pastor, he was like, he was there, but he kind of didn't want to do it. But, you know, but Christ, he was there. He wanted to do it. But he said, if there's any other way, any other way, but Jesus drank that cup for you and I. Talk about long suffering. Talk about humility. Talk about patience. Talk about gentleness. Gentleness. Leo didn't go in there and say, look at this place. I can't be here. I'm wearing my nice, my nice clothes. I can't take a seat on that dusty chair. Soft-spirited, patience. He wanted to get out of there, I'm sure, but he's like, okay, I'll drink it. Long-suffering, just, again, patience and just like dealing with the situation and showing more and more uh, of reluctancy, but yet holding off on that to the point of drinking the tea. Jesus had the power to do what he wanted, but yet in his long-suffering, drank the wrath of God for you and I. That shook me, and I wonder if it shakes you. If there's anything you know about this sermon, if you take anything home with you, remember this. We will thrive in unity as a body of Christ when we do whatever it takes to show Christ's humility, Christ's gentleness, Christ's patience to one another. Have you noticed that I haven't been given examples too many examples of how to uh, uh, emulate all of these things within the church. This is about unity, right? So why am I not talking about the church? Because Christ is the perfect example of all these things. I don't want you to look to me. I don't want you to look to somebody else and say, well, you know, it's good. Praise God for someone's humility, right? But don't try to emulate them. Emulate Christ. Amen? At times I find myself praising people more than I praise God. We can't fall into that. Continuing in verse 2, it says, bearing in love, going the extra mile, bearing with someone in love means doing whatever it takes to keep the peace, doing whatever it takes to love them. Love continues to forgive others just as you were forgiven. Mm. When it's difficult to show humility, gentleness, and patience, track back to when someone showed you humility, gentleness, and patience. And if there's no, like, if there's no earthly example of you um, or a family example of someone showing you those things, you have all the more reason to look to Christ. All the more reason to look to Christ because there's no example around you. But I hope you don't wait till that moment where you can't think of it. But look to Christ first as the one who gives us the best example. Okay, well, verse 3. The bond of peace. What? Is this chemistry? What bond are we talking about? I'm not going to talk. I hate chemistry. Oh, did I say that word? Oh, gosh. Peace is the bond that holds it all together. It's a, I share this, a really simplified version and more understandable for the youth. I shared this verse last Wednesday, and I told them the equation to unity is humility, gentleness, patience equals love, bearing from one another in love. But what holds it all together is peace. So if that helps the, the mathematicians in here, then cool. If we strive for these characteristics individually, we will have peace as a church. We have to maintain the unity with peace. Do whatever it takes to keep humility, gentleness, and patience through the avenue 
of seeking peace amongst each other at Rocky Mount, amongst each other. And look, I'm going to point at you, but guess what? There's three pointing back at me, all right? So let's keep each other accountable, amen? When, I don't, when, I, when I'm over here with the youth, acting a fool with them because they made me, keep me accountable and say, you're not keeping the peace. And it doesn't mean noise level, okay? We can be loud. I'm talking about peace once amongst each other. Amen? Let's keep each other accountable. But when, if you were to encounter someone or confront someone about their gentleness, um, or excuse me, about their peace, about the unity, you have to do it with humility, gentleness, and patience. Don't go up and try to say, you're not keeping the peace, and do it without gentleness. Like, what? That's contradictory to what we're learning today. So all that being said, so what? Why, why should I care about this? What does this, why does this matter to me, you might be asking. Well, Christ has shown us the utmost patience, the utmost long-suffering, the utmost meekness, the utmost humility. If we look to him, we can show that to one another. So what? These characteristics are the equation for unity. So what? He did not do it for nothing. But he did it to save us. When, he, when Christ, when we're talking about unity in the church, we look to Christ. But he didn't show humility. He didn't show long-suffering. He didn't show gentleness for nothing. He showed it to save us. And it was the avenue he took to save us. And now you have the opportunity, <laughs> I love that word, to respond in a certain way, Rocky Mount. Rocky Mount, don't be so quick to give up on each other. Come on, we, we don't have time to give up on each other. If, we really, if you're really here living your life out to glorify God, you and I, we don't have time to give up on each other. That should urge you. When you see someone slipping and, and someone doing you wrong or doing someone else wrong or causing disruption and division, long-suffering, pick it up and run with it. Uh, humility, meekness, pick it up and run with it. Not run away, run to the problem. Uh, Rocky Mount, emulate these things to build unity. Rocky Mount, repent of the disunity if you have any. Rocky Mount, let's thrive together for the cause of Christ. Rocky Mount, look to Christ as an example of these things. And lastly, Rocky Mount, do whatever it takes, bearing in love to keep unity amongst us. Because if there isn't unity here, there's not going to be unity anywhere else. Because we're the body of Christ. Amen? So there were some people today that received this word, but need to accept it into their heart. There's some people today that have received the word, and they're like, that's good. Mm." You know? But need to accept it into their hearts. So let me walk you through the ABCs. Not cliche, it's actually very effective. A lot of people just have the the plain question, how do I get saved? Well, guess what? I'm here to tell you through God's word. Accept the truth of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross when he showed the humility, the meekness, and the long-suffering for you. You accept that. A. B, you believe in the Son of God and put your faith in Jesus, who loved you to the point of death and rose from from death. You believe in that. Accept, believe. And then you confess your sins to God first and run away from your sins. But not just empty baggage. You're not dropping your sins here and just running like 
in disarray and just no direction. You're running with the power of God that's living inside of you. Drop the baggage, the sin. Let go of that and run in the power of God away from sin and change your life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Going the extra mile, church. We got to go the extra mile. We don't have time. Do you see the disarray and the disunity going on in the world? Can we stay unified here? It's not even a question I'm asking. It's a question that God's asking. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, God, we love you, Lord. And Lord, we learned about unity today. We learned about what it takes. What's the equation for unity, Lord? Lord, let us not forget what you've called us to. Let us not forget the humility, the patience, the long-suffering you have for us. Lord, outside of the story of, of your love on the cross, Lord, we've never heard of the hero dying for the villain. Who's a hero of Christ? Who's the villain? Us. Lord, thank you so much for doing that for us, for drinking the cup of God's wrath that we may stand together here and look at that and emulate that so that we can build unity amongst each other. God, thank you for being the perfect example for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's someone here today that would love to accept Christ into their heart, I'll be up front, and we have um, elders and other adults that can definitely walk you through that. Um, but yes, amen.